Today, Paul teaches us that we are to walk with Jesus in prayer, in wisdom, and in words. Walking in prayer. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Three things, steadfast, watchful, with thanksgiving. Now, prayer is this constant conversation that we have with God. And conversation is a primary means of building relationships, whether it be with with you and I, you, you amongst yourselves, or us with God. See, God speaks to us in his word. If you want to hear the voice of God in your life, all you have to do is is open the pages of the living, breathing scripture and read. If you want to hear his voice audibly in your ears, just read his word aloud. And the Holy Spirit promises to work in that process. Our part of the conversation is prayer. It's our conversation back to God, whether we're struggling struggling to understand the message that we're reading or or how that message impacts us, what we think about it, how we need more of what he's giving. And Paul says, be steadfast in this. That Greek word means to hold fast to, to endure, to have unflinching perseverance. Unflinching perseverance. This is pray continually or pray without ceasing. Now, some people maybe get a little bit hung up on exactly what that means. If you have to start and pray throughout the day, back and forth, or if you just pray at mealtime, if that covers it, or in the morning and the evening, how do I pray continually? Or does pray continually mean I just pray more than I used to, or I pray more than the person next to me? How many minutes, Pastor Ty, do I have to log so that God would consider this praying continually? I think that's a misconception of what praying continually means. Think of it as just constantly having the channel open. I can't share how many times I've walked into my my daughter's room and she's on the phone with somebody, but no one's talking. They just like being with each other, and that just means having the channel open. God just wants us to keep our channel open with him so that every thought that we have turns into a prayer, an ongoing conversation with God all day long to be steadfast in prayer, and then to be watchful. This is a very interesting concept. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples, it's the same word when he asked the disciples to keep watch over him while he was praying in the garden. And we know how that turned out, right? The, The heavy eyes, the drowsy, the long day, the high emotions got the best of them and they fell asleep, not staying watchful. But Paul teaches that you need to be steadfast in your prayers, but you also need to be watchful in them to be vigilant in your faith, to keep your wits about you, to have your eye on the horizon, looking for what is coming. I can't help but hear that and and think about the parable of the prodigal son, which I much rather prefer the title of the, the story of the forgiving father. Right, because as the son, the prodigal son has gone wayward all off on his own, the father each and every day is scanning the horizon to see his boy. He's doing the work that needs to be done, but he's always got one eye on the horizon, longing for, hoping for the fact that one day he'll see the figure of his son on that horizon coming towards him. We as Christians are supposed to do the exact same thing, not looking for a wayward son, but looking for a Jesus who has ascended into heaven and promised to come back. We are supposed to keep our hands on the plow doing what we're doing, but keeping one eye watchful. Because Jesus said, I am coming back. And he's coming back a whole lot quicker today than he was yesterday. 
So as we go about our daily lives, we are supposed to be watchful, be ready, be watching for his return. We're also supposed to be watchful for opportunities to share our faith, to witness. We're to be watchful for Satan's temptations because he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're supposed to be watchful for the kingdom of God returning. We're supposed to be watchful for lost and hurting souls who desperately need to hear the message of the gospel. So we're supposed to be steadfast. We're supposed to be watchful. And then Paul says, you need to also be praying with thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my prayers can kind of turn into a dear Santa letter. Like, God, let this happen. Have, have this person do this and let this healing happen and let this event fall into place exactly the way that I would like it. God, essentially, let my will be done. Father, do my will. Right? Instead of saying, God, Father, do your will in my life. Help me see the opportunities you put in front of me and give me the energy and the passion and the willingness to charge into those, to be brave with them. God, let me be an agent of your will. With thanksgiving. That we remember in that word, thanksgiving is the Greek word for grace. That the more and more thankful hearts we grow and cultivate in our lives, the more open to we're able to see the grace that God is pouring in. And the more we see the grace that God is pouring in, the more grateful we become. And in this, it's this powerful circle that builds and builds and builds. And then Paul makes a little bit of a shift here because so far he's just been talking about the prayer life that they are to have for their own lives, right? To be steadfast and to be watchful and be filled with gratitude. And now Paul turns the prayer to, to himself. Now, when you pray for Paul, when you pray for your pastors, pray this way. Writing from jail, Paul writes to the Colossians to pray that a door would be opened. I think both literally and figuratively. Let this door of my prison be opened so that I can go back out and do my work, but let doors be opened in the hearts of all the people who hear my message, the message of the gospel, that the doors of their hearts would be opened and they'd come awake to the power of life in Christ. Clear and compelling messages. We work really hard at St. Luke's to make messages that are in everyday language that help provide those aha moments. We talk about the mystery of God. Paul says that, that this mystery of Christ is the message that he has to deliver. And, and this mystery of Christ is this, this incredible fullness of the deity of God dwelling in the humanity of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself on the cross to die for us, that through his suffering and death comes resurrection and life. The mystery of Christ now is in us. We are to follow that same pattern in life that suffering and trials lead to exaltation and glory. We die daily. We die daily to sin and are raised to a new life. In this world, we'll experience and we can expect to experience rejection and even violence, but we have overcome the world. And we have the inheritance of the eternal kingdom right on the horizon. Now, Paul's desire to make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, it, it begs us as preachers of the word to constantly fine-tune and hone our craft. I've had seasons in my ministry in previous congregations 
where I just felt comfortable with where I was. I was comfortable with the level of preaching that I was currently doing, and I could just rest in that and didn't have to work at it. But coming to St. Luke's and being surrounded by such an amazing team, it just it begged us and urged us on to let iron sharpen iron and be, be more and more advanced in what we're doing and what techniques and how we speak and the passion that we deliver and the organization and the structure and the studies all kind of pulling together, making us all better. And it's so refreshing to be in that kind of environment where we all make each other better and there's no competition, there's no jealousy involved with it. We just want the message of the gospel proclaimed clearly and plainly in ways that change people's lives. So I know that our family has been in many of your prayers. You know that our family has not experienced the easiest three years since being here, uh, just with dynamics happening, nothing happening at church, but just dynamics within our own family. And so a lot of you have been, been praying for us and, and fervently praying for us, and we are so incredibly grateful. Those prayers are a lifeline and the prayers that a church can share with their pastor, I think, is one of the greatest ways that you can love your pastors. And I can tell you that in the hallway of pastors that's just right down there, there's not an office that the enemy isn't a part of, either attacking them or their families or their circumstances, and so they desperately need your prayers. But what Paul is praying for here and instructing the church to pray for is nothing about circumstances like that. Paul is asking the church in Colossae to pray for the message of the gospel to be clear, for doors of hearts to be opened. And I would ask that you would, you would add that to your prayers. Don't like stop praying for all of the other details of our families, but as we pray for you on a daily basis, just would you pray for us for the clarity of the gospel to be proclaimed in its purity, in ways that are transforming. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about right here. You know, each of us pray before we deliver a sermon. It's a, it's, it's a little bit different when we, when we pray in here because we kind of pray by ourselves because usually there's just one pastor who's preaching and doing liturgy. But in the other, in the other sanctuary, the uh, person preaching oftentimes will come to the person doing liturgy and just say, pray for me, <laughs> like we always do. And you see in the, in the sanctuary, I, I do it up here by myself, but you see in the sanctuary, the pastor comes to the altar and prays a prayer before he goes up to preach. And those prayers for me have to do with, Father, take away my breath and fill me with yours, that the messages, the words that come out of my mouth would be exactly what your people need to hear today. And it's been funny. I, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit does this amazing thing that the words I hear coming out of my mouth, he fixes and changes before they go into your ears. Because I've had people come up and say, Pastor, that was exactly what I needed to hear today, A and B and C. I'm like, That's not in there. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. So we have this task of communicating this mystery of Jesus in God's word in a language that's clear and compelling, easy to understand, and draws our hearers in. Then Paul kind of shifts away back from himself and goes back to the lives of the church. And he says, I want you to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Wisdom, let this definition of wisdom be burned into your brain. Wisdom is competency with regard to the complex realities of life. Competency in regard to the complex realities of life. 
Because only when you're walking in wisdom will you be allowed to engage people thoughtfully and effectively, especially as you dig into difficult world issues like abortion or LGBTQ or race relations or politics or faith itself. I had an interesting opportunity this past Wednesday. Pastor Roberts usually teaches the, uh, the men's adult Bible study on Wednesday mornings at 1045. Uh, if you've got 1045 free, I'd love to see you. We meet in the cafe uh, every Wednesday at 1045. And, and this time, usually it's, it's we, we read through scripture, we throw out a question, the whole group as a, as a response kind of responds and chews in dialogues. And I, I just kind of threw a, an interesting topic into the room because we were talking about the importance of life and I, I just kind of chunked a grenade and said, I want you to talk about abortion. And everybody's like, oh, I got it, ready to go. I'm like, I want you to talk about abortion as if there is a young lady at your table who has just encountered an abortion. Go. And that's what the room sounded like. But little by little, the conversation grew and developed, and they were chewing on it, and they were processing it, and they were gaining insights from one another. And then I had them kind of share with a large group and some amazing, outstanding, grace-filled, scripturally sound answers were coming out of these men. We need to grow in our capacity to do that, everybody. To not avoid those subjects, to treat them how God's word describes, and then apply God's word with love and grace. Wisdom, competency in regards to the complex realities of life. And he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Paul brings us up this outsider's concept. There's an author, his name is Thom Rainier. He does amazing books and, and research on, on the church as a whole. And he, he loves to study uh, churches that are dying. In fact, one of my favorite books that he's written is called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And he's watching the decline of Christianity in the United States. And, and he's pulling out some amazing insights from this. And he shares this thought, that excellent preaching is crucial to what he calls breakout churches, congregations that are growing because of conversions, not transfers, but conversions, people coming to faith. That it's hard to overstate how important the centrality of preaching was in these breakout churches, but that preaching is only effective to reach the outsiders if the people hearing the preaching bring outsiders with them. That the core key to church growing and faith spreading is your own capacity to have friends that are outside the church, to have friends who don't know Jesus. And it's your job to wrap them up in a healthy, positive, strong, nurturing relationship and bring them and connect them here. Connect them to God's word. Let them be fed by the sacraments. Let them be tied in, like Jesus tells us, the vines connected to the branches. Churches that have outstanding preaching and, and great welcoming people who welcome outsiders in are the churches that encounter incredible growth. Public proclamation and interpersonal witness is a powerful combination. Then Paul says, use the best use of time. Paul thinks about sharing the gospel every single moment of his day. To ask yourself the question, do I get out of bed in the morning and go to bed at night thinking about how do I share the gospel with my wife, with my husband, with my children, with my coworkers, with my friends? 
And to make the best use of time, this was an interesting insight this week, to make the best use of time means that time is limited. Time is running out. Time is running out on our lives. Time is running out of our culture. Time is running out on our nation. Time is running out on the world. Jesus is closer and closer to his glorious return than he has ever been before. And then finally, Paul wraps this up with walking in prayer, walking in wisdom, with walking with words. Paul tells the church, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Your words are the most powerful things that God has given to creation. The whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me is just a flat out lie. Because it's words that have the capacity to hurt and words that have the capacity to heal. And the word of the Lord, the word of God, has power like none other. That we are to use these words with grace and with salt. Grace is this goodwill, this, this favor. It, it, it brings to mind this kindness and favor given to people. Words of grace seem to be in short supply in our culture. A couple weeks ago, I challenged you to, to say something encouraging and affirming to each member of your family. And it was so rewarding. I, I received emails from lots of moms and dads that week that said, hey, we did this. It's been fantastic and amazing. Continue doing those good things. We go back a few more weeks into how we are to dress, how we are to put on the identity of Christ and the virtues of Christ, that when we speak with words of grace, we're speaking with kindness, with humility, with meekness, with patience, with forgiveness and love. And then Paul ends also with salt. You know, salt seasons and it purifies, it raises cholesterol, but it seasons and it purifies. And as we share our faith story with others, the gospel brings forgiveness, this purification, and he gives meaning and purpose, which is seasoning into the lives of those that we meet. Next week, as we finish with Colossians, Paul does some kind of wrapping up, some epilogue type stuff. But today, this is where rubber meets the road, where we look on the horizon and be watchful for those people that are coming into our lives who are hurting, who need to be healed by the gospel, and to share and speak God's words with wisdom, with grace, with salt, and bring meaning and purpose into their lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have given us this mystery of the gospel, which is this incredible, amazing, seemingly too good to be true message that it is you and you alone who bring healing and restoration to us all. Father, allow that good news to permeate every moment of our days that our prayers would be constant and steadfast and watchful and full of thanksgiving. God, we ask that you would, you would bless every speaker of God's word, that your message would be clear, compelling, and transforming. God, we also pray that you would bless each and every one of our walks this week, that we would be able to walk in wisdom, that we would be able to walk in wisdom in how we deal with people who are different from us, especially how we speak, and let our speech match our walk. Father, all this we pray in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.